Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. How many of you want to follow God forward? How many of you want to follow him forward? How many of you guys want to follow him forward? We're thankful to be able to follow the Lord God forward. And we honor him for all of his mercy and his grace to give you freedom, to give you grace, and give you strength in order that through Christ all things will be made new. Stand to your feet. Let's dig right in. Let's dig right in. Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 7. Exodus 34, verses 1 through 7. On three, go. One, two, three, go. Amen. Amen. Um, Today, I would like for us to deal with the subject in our family series, bringing a stop to generational sin. Bringing a stop to generational sin. Let's go before the Lord. Father, I pray that the issues in our generation, the buck will stop here. God, help us to see um, and admit and challenge and scrutinize the brokenness of where we came from and draw near to you. Help us to know that Christ provides freedom. God, we trust you today. Do surgery. Help me to pace myself and um, teach your people. Open up their hearts, open up their ears, their hearts, their minds, their souls to hear exactly what you want them to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. Breaking or bringing a stop to generational sin. Um, I love it when the spring comes uh, because I love the weather change and um, and I'm ready by that time to put away my sweater collection. Um, I, I, you know, sometimes, you know, you get to that point in winter where it snowed just a few more times than you'd like it to. 
and so the spring comes. But for me, the, with the spring and the weather changes comes the pollen. Oh, Lord. Um, this uh, time around, um, my mother-in-law suggested that I go to an allergist to see exactly what environment I'm in that's causing me so many allergic reactions. So I went to the allergist and they took me through the painful process of pricking my skin like literally 80 times. I felt like I was under ISIS torture, the way they were pricking me all up. But interestingly enough, for most of the spots, the pain was only the pricking. But for a few spots, there began burning, stinging, redness, hurt and frustration showing me uh, things that I was allergic to that I didn't even know I was allergic to. As a matter of fact, some of the things that I was allergic to, I had never even heard of. And, and the doctor began telling me what type of environments that I was in that's causing me to have the type of allergic reactions that I was having. And, and, and not only did he tell me where they came from and what environment it was, but he also was trying to help me with a way to, not, not, to, to cancel out the impact of these environments on giving me the ability to have such a negative reaction and an allergic reaction to them. Many of us have grown up in environments like that, where our homes have been deep environments where we didn't realize that we were developing an allergic reaction that would mess up many of our lives in so many different ways. There's so many reactions that you haven't even seen in your life yet, that in your adulthood is coming into full germination um, and, and, and you're experiencing frustrations and you're experiencing brokenness and you're trying to understand where in the world did all of these reactions come from and I'm calling you today and God is calling us today to do the hard work of pricking somebody say pricking you're gonna to have to get stuck in some areas in order to know what in your life is a mess some of you already know but many of us if we're honest even if we do know, we don't know how it happened, where it came from, and how to get rid of it. And so in coming to this passage today, we come to a passage um, that, that I think is universal and helpful uh, for us to begin to work through and think through the issues of what it means uh, to bring a stop to generational sin in our lives. Uh, if you look, many of you, if you look at your parents and you look at your family lineage, you see things in your life that you're not proud of. So we come to this text, and it starts off interestingly because you wonder why in the world would you start a text on generational sins or generational patterns of sin or family sin patterns in this way, but, 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 but God wants to do something before you jump into your mess. Because if you don't get hope before you get into the mess, you won't even go into the mess. So you need God in your mess. And so you need God to touch it. So he says in verse 34, which brings me to, I mean, uh, verse one, which brings me to my first and only point, generational sin is fully breakable. Generational sin is fully breakable. Look at verse one. It says, the Lord saw Moses, said to Moses, cut two stones, stone tablets, like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which I broke. 
which you broke. Interestingly, I don't know if you just catch that. You know how hard it is to cut stone? Back then, he had no, like, no jackhammer or nothing. So this was work right here. And then, he said, then it says next, it says, be prepared by morning. So he had to do that overnight. So that means somehow, in some way, he had to get them joints cut out, get them cut out in the way that God wanted them, and then find a way to get some sleep, wake up early enough, and then climb a mountain. At 80 years old. Anyway, we're going to come back to, come back to that. <laughs> come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. So I would want to sit down after all that. But it's interesting that God calls him to obedience of cutting a stone, trying to get some rest, climbing a mountain, and not resting when he got up there, but standing on the top of it. Why does he have him do that? Moses cut the, out the stone tablets like the first ones because he broke them because Israel was tripping. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down. Somebody say came down. It, 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 no matter how high you go up, God always has to come down to you. He went up a mountain, but that still wasn't as high as God was. So no matter how high in life you think you get, God always has to condescend to come to where you are. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, so he came down in the cloud or Shekinah cloud. His glory just drops. God, God knows how to make a scene. Like he don't show up with an entourage. He just an entourage unto himself. And so, so he shows up in the Shekinah glory cloud, the text says, and uh, stood with him there. So Moses is standing there. The cloud overshadows Moses. Moses is holding the two tablets. He's tired, but God's presence is with him. And as, 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 as God's presence dropped, the Bible says that God incarnated himself to stand with him in his fatigue on the mountain in the midst of him being obedient to what he called him to do. And then it says, and it, and it says, and proclaimed his name. Now, God is, God, this is amazing. God is so fly that he don't need nobody to announce his name. He shows up and yells his own name. Okay. And, and he didn't say the Lord. That doesn't say, he said Yahweh. He just said Yahweh. He doesn't say, I'm, he don't say I'm here. He just says his name. Like, imagine somebody just showing up, just yelling their own name, right? But, but, but God is letting him know that he's present. Amen. Sometimes you need to know that God is present. But look at verse 6. It says, and then he didn't just stand there. It says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. Okay? Now, now, now the text doesn't say in the Hebrew, the Lord, the Lord. It says, Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, if you remember in Exodus chapter 3, the first time God told them who he was, he said, who should I say sent them? He said, Ahaya, Ahaya. He said, tell them I am that I am sent you. Yahweh is a form of uh, 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 I am, I am. And so God overshadows Moses, comes all around him with his presence, stands beside him, backs up a little bit, then walks past him and yells his name at him. Twice. To let him know that I'm the ever existing one. In other words, whenever God shows up in your life, there's nothing in your life that he can't be an I am in. <laughs> God is proclaiming in your life. He wants to give you hope based on what he's about to tell you. 
When, when, when God shows up, he wants, to, uh, he wants you to know what he's about to tell you because he wants to know that he's there in his presence and that he's enough of what you need in the midst of whatever you're going through. So he says, I am. I'm the ever-existent one. Then he says, the Lord, the Lord. Then he begins giving a definition of what he's like. Before God shows you what he does, he first shows you who he is. Because you can't expect anything from God practically if you don't know who he is positionally. In other words, before God tells you what he's going to do, first he tells you who he is. If you first know who he is, it upgrades your expectations of what he can do. Wish I had some help right there. In other words, the, 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 way, the, the, the way God works, the way God works, the way God works is God here doesn't tell Moses everything he needs to know about him. He tells him just enough so that what he's about to tell him, he says, I am sufficient enough to deal with what I'm about to tell you. Now, the first thing God says after he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, he said, he said, I'm compassionate. In other words, my heart goes out to you. In other words, in the midst of being in God's presence and probably being fearfully in God's presence, God says, first off, my heart goes out to you. Number two, he doesn't just say, I'm compassionate. He says, I'm gracious. Now, ain't nobody going to shout right there because you don't really understand what grace is. But grace is God not giving you what you deserve. Now, 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 people, now most people don't get excited about that because we don't realize what we don't deserve. In other, in other, in other, in other words, there's nothing in your life you deserve. I don't care what you earned in your life. God didn't have to cause it to come to pass. So in, in, in other words, uh, uh, we've all done enough to where God could have annihilated each and every one of us. But God being gracious, God being gracious means that God didn't allow everything to happen to you in your life that you deserved and could have happened to you. Ain't nobody going to talk about that right there. Because, because many of us don't recognize. See, you, some of y'all say, well, you don't know what my life been like. I'm, I'm telling you right now, because of God's grace, whatever hurt and pain you went through is the sanitized version of what he was fully holding back. Because let me tell you something. If God let loose on your life, everything you really deserve to happen to you, matter of fact, you wouldn't be in existence on this planet right now. But because he's rich in compassion and he's rich in grace, he funnels out the bad, the worst of the worst and only allows enough in your life to grow you spiritually. He's compassionate. He's compassionate. His heart goes out to you. Then it says he's gracious. But not only is he gracious, he's slow to anger. Oh, see, you don't know that that's good news. The Hebrew here means God's nose is long. Literally, it literally can be translated, he's long of nose. What that means is, you ever see somebody get angry, usually their nose starts steaming, don't it? God's long, nose is long, meaning it takes a long time for him to allow, because of his compassion and his grace, for your sin to make him angry enough to destroy you. So, so that means God's compassion and God's grace stuffs God knows long enough for him to take care of your mess so that his anger won't reach the front of his nose and destroy every last one of us. <laughs> He's long of nose. 
But then he says, an abounding in faithful love and truth. All of this is the foundation. So when it says abounding in, 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 in faithful love, the word there can be translated loyal love, loyalty, or the old translation says loving kindness. Um, um, now, now this word is the word chesed, which talks about God's commitment to be loyal to you, even though you're not loyal to him. In other, in other words, God, God's covenant commitment to you is he tells himself, I know how much they're going to mess up, so I'm going to be comprehensively committed to loyally loving them, even though I know that there will be many spots in their life where they will not walk in a commitment to loyalty to me. I don't know if I know anybody in here that understands the beauty of this statement, that the massivity of God's loyalty to you is absolutely, unadulteratedly life-shattering, that if you think about the worst thing that you ever did, think about the thing that nobody knew that you did, that you did, that if you told it publicly, nobody would talk to you again, God, even at that moment of brokenness, at that moment of the thought was performing and committing his heart to be loyal to you. Loyal, 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 loyal. In other words, hood translation would be God decides to be your ride or die. In other words, listen, listen, ride or die usually happens when you build a relationship with someone. But God is so loving that he doesn't even build a full relationship with you before he decides to be loyal to you. In other words, soon as he comes into a relationship, soon as he comes get you, soon as he comes engage with you, he automatically becomes loyal without a relational history with you. That's good news for somebody. It's good news. That's good news. That's good news. That's good news. But he's compassionate. He's he, 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 he's, he, he, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, long of nose, he's abounding in loyalty and truth. He operates in the right information. That's the, oh God, I wish I had time. In other words, truth means he knows everything in reality and still in knowing the details of everything makes a conscious decision to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and loyal. God never ignores sin. He does those things in spite of it. All right, I gotta move. Let's move into the meat, I guess. Um, says next, um, it says maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. It says, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Let's look at this. When it talks about God bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation, what he's saying is this, is although uh, this, this, this idea here about the third and fourth generation, you have to understand people lived long back then. And so in living long back then, many times you saw your children's children and your children's children's children. So what does that mean? That means everybody that's alive that are another generation 
when the, when the patriarch and matriarch has systemic sin, the effects are filled, fit, felt for four generations. That means the decisions that our parents made, the decisions that our parents' parents made, and we, under their modeling, if you will, experienced their sin, saw it, and it was untreated. It affects us because their modeling shapes us. And in their modeling shape us, shapes us in this way, it points to the reality that God will cause these things to happen. Now, uh, not directly, but because of what's been done and there hasn't been repentance and acknowledgement and transformation, it affects you. And there are many of you under the sound of my voice that are living in the functional realities of the sins modeled in your life that have become a part of the matrix of your soul. Let's go further. In Exodus 20, Verse five and six, it says, do not bow in worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am jealous God, punishing or visiting, if you will, the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Underline that. But showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me, underline that, and keep my commandments. Now let's look at those who hate me. Those who hate me. Punishing here points to God visiting those sins. In other words, we'll talk about in a minute where children don't pay for the sins of their parents. You only get the sin impacting you if you hate God by doing what your parents did. So, so, so in other words, if you take the baton of your parents' sin and begin to do it, that's hatred of God. Now, in your, desire, in your, in your generation, you have to decide whether you hate the Lord or whether you love the Lord. That's, that, that's, that's what you got to make a decision of, right? And so, and so the punishment is a visitation on steroids because God gives the next generation a chance to see what happened. When you look and see the hell that was wreaked on your parents' life and you, through the matrix of your dysfunction, take the baton of that, he compounds their consequences on you because you decided to do what he was giving you a chance to see was unhealthy, that see that was a mess, that see was jacked up. And what happens is you become two times worse of a devil than your parents, and then you pass that to your children. And if your children decide to hate God, then that's three generations of compounded sin, and then you pass it down to the next generation. The buck has to stop at some point has to stop let's look at some common sin patterns let's look at some common ones adultery I've seen in my life men who were adulterous rolling stones their son taking the baton and doing the same thing. It got real quiet when we put these up there. Cause now it's getting real. Passivity in masculinity. Men that don't know how to lead their home and 
let the wife lead everything. Then the wife becomes next, controlling. And what she does is because of the passivity of her husband and the daughter's dad was passive, the wife comes in the gap and, 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 and she thinks she's leading, but what ends up happening is she becomes controlling. The daughter takes that on. I'm by myself. So, so what begins to happen in the generations is you have this disposition of expectation and you begin to build a culture around sin versus the scriptures. See, 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 see what has to happen is, is, is that passivity is passed down. Witchcraft is passed down. I'll never forget we had a young lady several years ago come in here, student, come in here, demon possessed. I'll never forget it. It was real on the low too because she wasn't around, running around foaming. She wasn't doing that. It was real subtle and I looked at her. My wife remembers. I looked at her and the Holy Spirit made it clear to me the end, I, somebody else was looking at me. She wasn't looking at me. We took her in that room over there and we began to pour the scriptures out and pray over her. And when she, when she could talk to me about what was going on, she began to tell me her family history. And witchcraft is deeply entrenched in the generations of her family. And so I had to have her begin confessing the sins and renouncing those tactics and going to palm readers and uh, opening Ouija boards. I don't, fool with, I don't fool with the devil. I don't fool with them. Listen, I remember they brought a Ouija board in my, my, my room in college. I said, all y'all Negroes get out. I, I, playing with you. I wasn't even saved and this something wasn't right. I was just like, I don't even, I don't even know the Lord. Just get out. I didn't even know. We had a young lady here one time, got married, someone right. Ended up going into her life. We, we found out she was studying, she was into Santa Maria and had an altar in her basement coming to church every Sunday, opening her Bible and serving in ministry. And I didn't understand the syncretism of the ability to cry during praise and worship and then go in a basement and light candles to your ancestors. Y'all got quiet right there because some of y'all woke the five folk in here have bought into the ancestor worship. It's nothing, it's nothing wrong with being woke, but you got to be woke to Christ, not woke to the world. Ain't nothing wrong with being woke. Listen, I'm going to say this for free. <clears throat> if you, for black people in particular who want to get our historical identity, there are things that are good for us to get and some of the other stuff we need to leave in the middle passage. And let me tell you this. Christianity ain't the white man's religion, so don't use it for that because Christianity thrived on Africa for a thousand years before it ever hit Europe. That's for free. So, so don't say, well, 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 Yoruba is my, is my indigenous religion. Don't look at me. Funny. Some of you need to, some of you, some stuff you can't wear, some symbols you can't wear. You talking about you woke and I'm, I'm in, my, my, in my culture, if it's unredeemable and if, it, if it's bones, are you dropping bones all down and turning cards over and doing, the devil, get him out. Physical abuse. Some of us have dealt with so much physical abuse. 
and emotional abuse. And many of us said, I, I, when I become a parent, I'll never do it. But listen to me, let me tell you something. You saying you'll never do it isn't powerful. There are no promises connected to you saying what you won't do. God doesn't honor what you say you won't do. He honors his promises. So if you say, I'm not going to do it, you can call it, haul it, name it, and claim it all you want. But if it's not standing on his word and being empowered to come out of not doing it, you saying you won't do it actually causes you to do it. Some of, some of us have grown up under hellacious emotional abuse. You'll never be nothing. You're so stupid. I don't know why I had you. Some of you heard some of the most demonic verbiage when you were growing up and some of you are in your 40s and you're still trying to outlive some of the stuff that was spoken over your life. Physical and emotional, molestation and rape. We talked about that last week, about me too. But if you were molested and raped, I've seen people pass it on as a legacy in their sphere. Gambling. Now y'all gonna look at me funny on this one. But really what gambling is, what makes gambling bad is basically God gives you resources and instead of taking those resources and being satisfied with God and maximizing them and using them based on the law of the harvest, you go spill your seed in the casino and going down the street on 17th and Susquehanna buying the little scratch tickets. Oh, it got real quiet right there, North Philly. I grew up in the house with gamblers, and I'm gonna tell you how many times the lights went off. I can't. Because what gambling does is it's the spirit of greed that trains a household in a lack of satisfaction with God and biblical stewardship. And then you wonder why the next generation after that, their cell phone always off, their rent late, they can't buy a house, and they in more debt than they, 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 they their, their debt is a mortgage payment. Why? Because we've taken on the lack of stewardship and not canceled that on our life. I got to move. Drug addiction. Drug addiction. Alcoholism. Obesity. This is the secret one right here. Because the thing about obesity is it's cool to be obese or eat a lot and hide it under being a foodie. I ain't mad if you're a foodie, but then... You, some of us are overeating foodies. And guess what? We're medicating ourselves with food. Because there's something in our life that we're using food as a functional savior for that Jesus Christ has saved us for. And then what happens in our life, we begin to, we begin to die early. Because God has given and assigned you days, but the Bible says you could cut those days short. And so when you're obese, you're cutting off your destiny from extending to the full amount of time that God has ordained for it to be. Then we normalize hypocrisy. This is, this is really, really bad. Come to church, you shout, but then you're a hellion at home. And then your children grow up with the two worlds of your one way at church and then your one way at home. So, so that, that means for them, 
as they're being modeled, there's something fake about church. It doesn't have any effect. So they grow up waiting to get out of your house so they won't be around an environment that gives you accolades and affirms you, but they don't know what you're really like at home. So where do we go from here? Guess what this is? Strongholds. Somebody say strongholds. What is a stronghold? What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a mindset, value system, or thought process that hinders your growth. Holding firmly to an argument, a stronghold is an accusation planted firmly in your mind. Satan establishes strongholds in God's people by implanting in their minds lies, falsehoods, misconceptions, especially regarding God's nature. Most of our family strongholds are rooted in stubborn, deeply rooted belief systems that were caught, not taught. <laughs> Most of what you learned wasn't the instructions your parents got you, but the lifestyle that didn't line up with the instructions that they gave you. <sighs> uh, wish I had time. Through generational family modeling that our mental experience normalized. So what happened now is we live under functional dysfunction. And now this has become a matrix, a part of the matrix of our soul now as believers and, and, and as non-Christians. And, and you don't even realize that this mess is all hung up in your life. And so God says, interestingly enough, <coughs> that, that he's loving enough family of God. I, I, I like this text. Because what God does is he allows those who hate him only to last four generations. But when you love him, it extends to thousands of generations. Oh, you don't know when to shout. In other words, if God let our sin patterns keep going, do you know how bad it will get if God doesn't put a stop every fourth generation, just automatically press reset? But, but the blessing of knowing God is your children's children, children's children, children. You, some of you don't even know that you sitting here was sown thousands of years ago. I'm by myself. It's okay. I'm by myself. Let's do some examples. Can I get some examples? Let's go through this. Let's look at some examples of family strongholds. Turn, uh, look, look, you don't have to turn it. <clears throat> put, put that Joshua up there for me. Uh, no, no, no. Y y I don't know if I gave that to y'all. Y'all can wait on that because y'all going to put the next one. Joshua 7. Turn over there with me. Joshua 7, verse 1, and then, and, and then verses 24 and 26. This is interesting. <clears throat> Look at what it says. Well, y'all got it. Thank y'all. All right, cool. It said, the Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. <laughs> Achan, son of Camry, or Carmi, I'm sorry, uh, son of Zabdi, Son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against everybody. Uh-oh. Verse 24. <laughs> it says, this, then Joshua, son of Joshua, and all Israel with him, took Achan and Zerah, the silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, oxen, d d d donkeys, sheep, everything, tent, puppies, everything and all that he had and brought them up to the valley of Accor. Joshua said, why have you brought us trouble? Sometimes you gotta ask some folk that. 
He said, today the Lord will bring you trouble. So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies, threw the stones on them. Why did they do that? Now somebody would say, why in the world would God do? See, that's what I'm talking about about the Bible. God, why would he kill children? Because the children, listen, based on Ezekiel 18, I can't go there right now. You, listen, if, if a child, I got to read that. If a child doesn't do their parents' sin, the child doesn't die for that sin. But here, that means the whole family was in on getting that stash going. And so God killed everybody that was connected to it. You have to be careful because you'll get worse consequences and bad consequences as you follow in the sins of your parents. But those who love me, he's showing faithful love. That's what God will do. And that's why it says in verse 14 of Ezekiel chapter 18, it says, now suppose, now suppose he has a son who sees all the sins his father has committed, and though he sees them, he does not do likewise. And guess what it says next? It says, he does not eat of the mountain shrines or look at the idols or the house of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife. He does not oppress anyone. Listen, all this stuff he don't do. And then it says in verse 17, he keeps his hand from harming the poor, not taking interest or profit on a loan. He practices my ordinances and follows my statutes. Such a person will not die for his father's iniquity. That's what will happen. We don't pay for our father's iniquity. Now let's go down to some quick examples real quick. Examples in the Bible of generational sin. Examples of generational sin. We see first, we see Adam and Eve. Who this in, in fact, everybody. That's everybody. Next, you can put the next one up. Everybody, just everybody. But look what Abraham does. Abraham lies and says Sarah is his wife out of fear. In these two chapters. This is before Isaac is even born, and this is all before the law. So you can't say because this text is under the law that now it can't happen because this predates the law. Mm -mm. Isaac lies, says Rebecca was his sister out of fear six chapters later. Jacob was old enough to catch the sin patterns of his dad. He was old enough and he saw his dad do this. Jacob lied as a trickster and stole Esau's blessing. Y'all see that? Generational sin. Next one, David. Look at the next one. David had an issue with women, and his son took it to the whole nother little, little next level. I mean, that fool lost his mind. I mean, David has one affair. He just goes like 1,100 women. I mean, we, I don't want to exegete that. Um, I just don't. But look, it turned his heart away from the Lord, and he rejected all wisdom. His son rejected wisdom, and the kingdom split. But family, but family, guess what? There's hope. Next slide. Next slide. Am Ammon and his son Josiah. Amnon was a fool. I ain't got to go into all his sins. Look at it later. I mean, that dude had lost all every bit of the mind that God gave him. But Josiah became king at eight years old, started walking with the Lord very, very early. And he changed the trajectory of Israel because he decided to get in the word and not act like his father. I'm gonna take it even to another level. Go to the next one. This one gonna really, really help you. Jacob had 12 sons. They was all crazy, except for one, Joseph. 
Joseph was treated wrong by his brothers, and he didn't follow the sin patterns of his father or his brother's deception. Guess what he did? It's real practical. He forgave them. Stop right there. Don't look at the slide no more. Some of you guys need to forgive your parents. Now, some of you said, that's too painful for me to forgive. It does more damage to you than it does them. The Bible says, don't be an unbeliever like Esau, having a root of bitterness in him, sprouting up, defiling many. When you walk in unforgiveness and anger, it ferments and becomes bitterness and spreads to every area of your life, not theirs. So forgiveness frees you to walk in your destiny. You can't do and walk in what God wants you to walk in until you forgive them. Now look at it. Now he could have just forgave. So they say, that was enough, Pastor. I ain't doing nothing else. Forgiveness, hallelujah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I'm done, right? But then he blesses them. Let me understand, he had power. They could, he could have killed all of them. But he didn't. He wept, dealt with his emotions of the hurt. That's beautiful. Turned in and blessed them. Not only did he bless them, but he redeems them. And then he buys land for them and builds them a house, preserves the family so that the trajectory of the family's sins will turn the tide of the entire household. All because he forgave and then blessed. <laughs> and it restored their entire family. So how do, what, what, what type of pattern do we want to create? Put those up there. Create a new pattern. Speaking life into our children. Prayer as a culture of the home. The word of God saturating the house. A culture of forgiveness in the house. Of stewardship. Of healthiness. Of repentance. Admitting when you're wrong. Not covering it because you're an adult. Love in your household. Care in your household. Self-control in your household. Patience. Patience. What helps me with parenting my children is looking at how much of a mess I am and how patient God is with me. Then I turn and I say, I got to repent to them and be more patient because sometimes I'm right in, in challenging them, but I'm wrong because I overshadow them with too much discipline where they need me to draw them in with patience and love. Marital fidelity and strong singleness. I'm out of your way. The gospel reconstructs our narrative, y'all. You can, Jesus reconstructs your narrative. Put that up there. Oh, it's up there. Thank you, ladies. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Next, you got to identify the sin pattern. That means you got to look at the sins of your parents and ask yourself and others around you, which ones of these sins do you see as a part of my life? Because you can't deal with the sin in your life until you identify the sin patterns that are in your parents in order that you would cancel them. Now, even if your parents, even if you're not doing those sins, you still need to acknowledge them because you have to deal with them and uproot them because they can rear their ugly head anytime in your journey. <laughs> Tear down the mindset as being normative. It's, no, it's not normal. Repent and replace the mindsets with the truth of the word of God. Finally, we see that Jesus, family of God, removes curses Generational sins and sin patterns. Bible said Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. <clears throat> By becoming a curse for us because it is written, curse is the one who hung on a tree 
The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Guess what Jesus does? Jesus didn't have the bloodline of, his, his, of Joseph, so he didn't get the sin patterns of Adam. <laughs> he had the bloodline of his eternal father. And because he had the bloodline and DNA of his eternal father, he could pass on a, a, a DNA to us that would change not only those who trust in him by faith, but also people in his bloodline through Mary physically who have generational pattern sins that they should have paid for. He wipes them away by faith. So Jesus' work on the cross does it, family. And I'm encouraging you today to face your sin. Face the sins of your family. I want to give you a challenge today, and I want to pray for you. First, I want to pray for those who don't know Jesus. Every head bow, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, your sin pattern is more than a pattern. It's your nature. Jesus Christ died on the cross to take you from spiritual disconnection to connection. Maybe you're here today and you never put your confidence in what Christ did on the cross and getting up from the grave for you to bridge the gap between the relationship that you don't have with God. If you're here today, if you're here today and you want to put your confidence in Jesus Christ, hold your hand in the air. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else want to put their confidence in Jesus Christ? So you want to put faith in Jesus Christ? Anyone else? The best decision that you can make. I know we're a little over, but please bear with me. If you're here today and you want to place your confidence in Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk to you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Father, we pray for this one who has made a profession of faith, touch and deliver and set free by faith in what Christ has done. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Real quick, if you're here today, I got to pray for you. And you know that God hits you between the eye. Come on forward. I want to pray for you. When it comes to this generational sin pattern, you see it in your life or you see the potential of it. Come on in real close and real tight. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to maximize this time. I want to maximize this time. I want to maximize this time. Anyone, 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 anyone that wants to come forward. Anyone that wants to come forward. Anyone that wants to come forward. We want to minister to you. We want to minister to you. Anyone come forward? I see y'all coming. I see y'all coming forward. We're going to wait for y'all. We're going to wait for y'all. We're going to wait for y'all. Yeah, anyone else? I see you coming. Thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else want to wanna come forward and say, I'm a believer, but I know I have patterns in my life that reflect where I came from. And I need the Lord to reshape my journey. Y'all can come in some more right behind them. You can come in some more right here. Right here. Y'all can come in some more. As close as we can get. Y'all can come in some more. Amen. Maybe you're here and you need to stand in the gap for somebody else. Come on forward. I'd love to see that. Stand in the gap for somebody else. Anyone, anyone else? Thank you. I saw y'all jump up. Thank you. You want to stand in the gap for somebody. That's what intercession is. 
You're not their mediator, but you, but you say, I want to touch Jesus and touch them. I want to touch God and touch them. The sin patterns in our lives. I see you coming, sis. We're going to wait for you. 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 Father God, we trust you. We trust you because of the might of the gospel. We trust you because we can come before you with this stuff in hope. <laughs> we can come to you knowing that you got us because you already paid for it on the cross. God, I thank you for every person in here that came up and they're acknowledging that they see the patterns. Whether they see it in just their parents or seen it in their life, they're coming before you, Lord God trusting in what you've done what have you done God you've canceled the certificate of debt but you also disarmed Satan on the cross you caused his gun to shoot blanks now because death and sin no longer have power over us God and now we can proclaim based on we want to be the generation that loves you we want to be the generation that seeks your face seeks the line of Judah, the God of heaven. We don't want to be the generation that hates you by what we do. And we know that we, 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 these things don't make us in relationship with you. We do these because we're in a relationship with you. So we do this by grace, through faith in what you've done for us on the cross. God, I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus that every bit of help that's available would overshadow your people. And I pray for the fruit of the Spirit to pulsate inside of their lives that you would fill them with self-control, with patience, with love, with joy, with kindness, with gentleness, with faithfulness, all of those things that make us who we are now because we're new in Christ. If any man or woman is in Christ, is a new creature, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. God, make the things in our life new, the things that are, are scratching at us and biting at us so that we are fighting in our lifetime of engaging and what it means to say the buck stops with me, God. In Jesus' mighty name, God, the buck stops with me and I'm trusting you to rewrite the narrative of my family lineage through me, God. And we trust you and you, we believe you for it, that you're gonna do wonderful things. You're gonna change and challenge lives, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.